What's going on, good people? Welcome to the newest episode of the Poor Vera podcast. I am extremely excited to have um, not only a legend in his own right, but a, but a good friend of mine, um, Josh Pyatt, co-head of WME Sports. What's going on, Josh? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, PR? I am good, man. I'm as good as you can be, right? It's like I always <laughs> feel like that's a loaded, not a loaded question. It's a loaded answer. Like I look twice if someone says things are great right now during yeah. these times, you know? Making the um, best of it. Yeah, for sure. That's all, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. Um, we're going to get into all the amazing stuff you're doing, you know, in your space and the amazing people you're doing it with and have worked with. But I want to go back. I want to start a little bit at the beginning um, and even stuff that I was as I was preparing for this episode that I don't know. So it's kind of like the fan in me, like wanting to, like, learn more about you. Um, born and raised in Cali. Born and raised in California. Yeah. Long Beach. Long Beach. Um, Never really left, uh, as sad as that is to say. I've, I've stayed here, uh, have stayed here uh, my entire life. Uh, went to Loyola Marymount for college. Um, started working in finance out of, out of college and then started in the mailroom at William Morris. So never really left. I love it, man. What, what's a young, jo- what was a young Josh Pyatt like? Like, what were you into? Were you, were you into sports? Were you into, you know, what, what was a young 10-year-old Josh Pyatt into? Oh, a 10-year-old Josh Pye was definitely into sports. You know, dreamed of uh, growing up and playing shortstop for the Dodgers. Um, nice. You know, it was in the middle of, uh, when I was 10 years old, the Lakers and the Dodgers had won the World Series. It was 1988. So oh, wow. it was very similar to this past year, sports-wise for me, only back then you could actually go into stadiums. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was the middle of Showtime. It was Magic Johnson and Byron Scott and, it was fun, uh, but yeah, definitely. Ten-year-old Josh was all about was all about baseball and playing sports. And um, sports has always been a big, big part of my life, um, you know, and will always be. It just feels like a lot of a lot of my best memories are at sporting events with family or with friends. And you know, I think sports in and of itself teaches you so much about life and there's so many things that you can you know take with you and that apply into the business world so it's had a huge impact on me i love it um when you went to by the time you went away to college you went to loyola marymount right yep um i'm guessing by then you knew you weren't going to start at shortstop for the dodgers yeah yeah became very clear (laughs) (laughs) yes um you went to college what did you think you wanted to do when you went to college in terms of a, a profession yeah, no. It, so um, I didn't grow up with a, with a bunch of money. I was raised by a single mom, you know, who worked at a preschool. Um, so for me, it was all about kind of getting out of that and not, you know, I, I wanted to kind of change the narrative for my family, right? I wanted to be the person that, you know, I didn't want my kid to have to kind of grow up that way anymore. Not that I grew up poorly. My mom did everything she could for me, but I just, you know, she had to work on Saturday nights to, to pay for my high school. And mm. I had to work through college to pay my tuition in, col- in in school. So I just, I wanted something different. Um, so at the time, investment banking and the world of finance was really where everybody was making money, venture capital, that whole, that whole world. I graduated from college in 2000. So it was right at, at the, when the bubble broke. So that was what I was focused on. I, I wanted to go work in, in finance because that's where all the money seemed to be. Um, so that's kind of what I poured my attention into. Got it. And no, I, I'll give you a, a, a st- it's actually a pretty funny story. You'll appreciate this. Um, my timeline's all messed up because in COVID, I don't know if it was last week, last month <laughs> or, or 18 months ago, but 
I think it was like a little over a year ago, I had um, you know, the opportunity to go speak to a bunch of young students at a NYU here in New York. And during the Q&A session, one of the students asked me, hey, you know, I saw somewhere that you said, you know, college um, isn't important. You can imagine I'm here speaking at NYU and the professor yeah. looking at me like, you said what? You know, like, <laughs> and, um, and I was like, hey, no, that's a fair question. I said, what I actually said was, you know, you don't need a traditional college education for everything if you know what you're going to do. You need education. Yeah. You don't need to go and do a four-year, six-year college, you know, education. Now, if you're going to go be a doctor, absolutely, you better take your ass to school. If you're going to be a yeah. lawyer, take your ass to school. So I only ask, I only preface this question um, with not saying would you have gone to school, but what would you have done different collegiately knowing what you know now? Uh, well, if I would have, if I would have been able to, I would have gone to, to school later, right? Because I, I, I don't think when you're in school, you have an appreciation for what you're actually doing, right? You're 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, you're obsessed with, with going out and partying and, and, you know, hanging out with your friends. And, you know, the last thing you care about is, you know, beginning psychology. Um, <laughs> you know, that didn't really interest me at all. I just wanted to get out as fast as I could so I could go start making money. Um, and, you know, I, I loved college. I, I had a great time. But, you know, if I'm going to college in my 40s and 50s, I have a much different appreciation for history and for the psychology and the way you look at things and real estate finance and those types of things. I just don't think, you know, when you're 18 years old, you're focused on that kind of stuff, or at least I wasn't. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I recently, you know, right before the holiday, I took, uh, I was taking classes, online classes at NYU and, um, you know, corporate finance, just trying to like learn, you know, yeah. muscle that I don't have. And, um, and what you're saying, it's so true that I was like, it was the first time ever in any education I've had in my, in my life that I was like, no, no, no I want to learn this stuff. Yes. Like, it's not about passing a test. It's not about doing the bare minimum to get the homework in. Or, like, I need to learn this stuff. So I totally get like, you have a different appreciation, especially when your ass is paying for it too. <laughs> like, totally, yeah, different appreciation for it. Well, and it's just, you know, you, you, you want to get going, or at least I did. That was a big, that was a big thing to me. Like, I felt like I needed to kind of get in somewhere and start going. So, so you finish school, you get a job in finance. Yeah. How quickly do you realize this may not be what I want to do? Or are you in there and you're making money and you're happy? I don't know how long you went to finance with. Yeah, I was, so I was there for three years. Um, okay. My first three years out of school. I did that. I mean, I would say after about a year, I realized that it wasn't for me and I needed to start to focus on kind of what I was really, what excited me, but you know, what I was really interested in um, because I wasn't, I was still trying to get into venture capital at the time. And, I, you know, I didn't go to Harvard uh, and I didn't go to Yale or Stanford. So it became very clear that I was not going to be able to kind of get into that world in a meaningful way. Um, so I started to think about you know, what made me happy? What did I do when I, when I left the, the office? How did I, you know, how did I unwind? So I narrowed it down to kind of the two things that, that really interested me were sports and entertainment. Um, so I started to kind of really do a deep dive into both in terms of what I could do in both of those worlds. Um, and, you know, in the beginning, I did a lot of research on the sports business and what I could be doing. And I, I disqualified it, to be honest with you, because I didn't want to go make a profession out of the thing that 
was was what I enjoyed, right? I didn't want to go to a baseball game and sit in the stands and think, oh, I, you know, I think of it as a job. So, you know, I leaned more towards the entertainment world. And then the more and more people I talked to and, you know, the, the more informational interviews I went on, it became very clear that the best place to go uh, and start in the entertainment business was at an agency. It was kind of the hub of, uh, it was where you went to get your MBA, so to speak, of, of, of the entertainment world. You know, it, it, it helped you define where you would want to be, where, where you'd want to go, kind of what you were interested in. So started applying to all the agencies. Uh, it took me a long time to get in uh, and, and get a meeting at WMA because I didn't have a family member that was, you know, related to somebody, which is typically, or at that time, how a lot of people got hired. Um, you know, I found somebody that went to my college. Uh, I annoyed him long enough where he finally <laughs> responded to, or he finally picked up the phone when I called and he said he would take a five minute meeting with me. And, you know, nine months later I got hired and it all worked out. And I started in the mailroom pushing a mail cart. I want to, I want to talk about, you know, I think it's such an important, you know, lesson of you saying you knew a year in that finance wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do. Most people at that age feel the pressure of like, well, I got student loans or I got to give this a run or whatnot. And it's like, I always, you know, tell young people that ask me, I'm like, it's okay to pivot. Like life's one big pivot, right? Um, and then putting a plan in place and doing your research and figuring out what it is you want to do. And at times that move sometimes isn't lateral. Sometimes it's a step back, right? Yeah. So, so you were making money doing what you were doing in finance. And it's like, there's a lot of people that are like, and I understand the significance of the mailroom, which we'll get into in a second. There's a lot of people that are like, well, I'm not going to go from this job I have to the mailroom. Can you talk about like just your thought process and like investing in yourself and making that move? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, it, when I was 25, I had no real downside, right? I was single. You know, it's a lot different now. I'm 42. I have a, a wife. I have a mortgage. I have two kids, you know, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. It's not as easy to just kind of pick up and change things. But back then, um, I knew I wasn't going to be happy doing what, what I was doing. And I feel like that's a big part of it. Cause if you're not happy at work, you're not going to be happy anywhere else. Um, I knew that whatever I inevitably found that I enjoyed, I would work very hard at. So it was really just about finding something, finding a lane that I, that I liked. Um, but I think all of, all of the business world and life in general is about being able to pivot when you need to, right. You know, I, even when I got promoted, I was a TV agent and now I co-run the sports group, right? So following things that interest you and then something you said is dead on from, in my, in my opinion, researching the hell out of it, because now you have no, with the internet and with everything that's out there, you have no excuse not to, to kind of walk into something unprepared or blindly. Um, but, you know, at 25, I could take a step back because I felt mm -hmm. like I still had my entire, you know, working life ahead of me. So I, I wanted to make sure that I got it right. Now, I, I, I was very nervous because I felt like I couldn't do that again, right? Yeah. Like if I was going to get in there and I was going to really entrench myself in this business, I couldn't get to like 28 years old and say, oh, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I should go, maybe I should go be a teacher. Um, so it was, that part of it was scary. But once I committed to it, you know, then it was 100% all in. Got it. Can you talk a little bit for the people that may not know about like the mailroom? Like it's not a typical, like you're working, you know, at a regular, like this is like, is, this is like the entry point, like what that, I don't know if it still is, maybe it is, but like yeah. what that culture was around getting those types of opportunities and like 
what the potential runway was. Clearly, you know, the greatest examples of it. Well, I mean, it, it is in its purest form. It is a mailroom. You know, my first day there, I was pushing a mail cart around three stories uh, of offices, picking up agents' incoming and outgoing mail. I mean, I, I'll never forget it. At the end of that week, my feet were bleeding because I had never, I hadn't been on my feet for ten hours a day like that in a long time. Um, you know, it, and it is you're doing the most menial tasks you can do, but that you know the. The, the thing that gets you through is the fact that all the people that are the hot shots at that company, they all did the same thing. Ari started in the mailroom, Patrick White. So, you know, that's kind of the path when you work in the entertainment business, if you want to be an agent, you start in the mailroom, you get on, you, you, you become an assistant to an agent. Uh, then you become an assistant to a hot shot agent. And then that hot shot agent goes to bat and gets you promoted. And then you go back down to the bottom of the totem pole and you're a baby agent. So, mm. You know, it, it was, I mean, I remember, I think my third day there, I, I went on a, one of the agents sent me on a run to go buy out every Kit Kat at the CVS around the corner from the William Morris agency, because it was near Halloween. So I literally came back with every single Kit Kat inside the CVS in, in, in Beverly Hills. And that was just kind of, you know, that's a Tuesday, right? I, I remember one time I had to go, I had to go try and find a doggy door for an agent because he wanted one because he wanted to bring his dog into the office, stuff like that. But, you know, that that's all part of the dance until you get on a desk. And then once you get on a desk, then your sole job is to make sure the person you're working for, that you're doing everything they need. You're learning from them. Uh, and then because that's how you get promoted. That's how you learn. I, I would love if you could talk a little bit more about like just the mindset of the grind, right? Not everything is sexy. Not everything, you know, I, I think, you know, you've met my assistant JT. It's like, he comes from that school of like, hey, whatever it takes to get it done, you know? And I think those types of people are invaluable to any organization. They add value always, you know, I think when you're younger, it may not happen as fast as you'd like, but can you talk a little bit about the importance of just the mindset, even being 25, 26, but just the grind of like, hey, whatever I'm asked to do, I'm going to do it because I believe in like, you know, yeah. where this thing will lead me. Well, you know, weirdly, the way they the way they set agencies up, it's, you know, it, it's kind of natural selection. Like the, the, I started in the mailroom with eight other people and I was the only one to get promoted out of those eight. All of mm. them are working either in different businesses or at different companies. I started in the mailroom with a guy that drove a Porsche to work was one of the, that was a millionaire. He had sold his company, I think for 40 or $50 million, you know, and he wanted to get into the entertainment business. And he started in the mailroom with me and I drove a Nissan Sentra that, you know, I was lucky started every morning. So I, I, I but I think once you're there, then you're on equal playing field, right? It's, you know, you're no different than anybody once you're inside, then it just comes down to how bad you want it. And, and what you're, you know, I, I don't want to say what you're willing to do because you know, there's always things I'm not going to do, of course, just because of, you know, the type of person I am. But like, you know, it, 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 I think it's no different than playing a sport, right? The guys who excel are the ones that are the first or first, first in and last out every single day. Um, you know, only they're in a weight room and I'm in a building in Beverly Hills, you know, helping agents. So your typical day was 930 to 630, you know, but a lot of people would go and help agents in the morning and they would help agents at night. So you're, you know, you're getting there at seven and you're leaving at nine or 10. And, you know, it's not, a, at that point, it's just about showing these guys that you're hardworking, they can trust you, they can do those types of things. And then once you get on a desk, it becomes about, 
um, you know, first and foremost, making sure the agent you're working for is completely taken care of, the clients are taken care of, you know, and then you get to, you know, you're asking questions based on things you hear here and there, but, you know, your, your job is to make their lives easier. Um, and in doing so over a two year stretch, three year stretch, you learn a lot because you're on the phone calls. Um, and then, you know, you start to develop relationships with clients and, and, and other executives around town. And, you know, then you, 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 you get promoted and then it's your turn to go out and try things. You touched on it a little bit. Um, I think people have like this, uh, romanticized, you know, uh, vision of what an agent is, you know, I think, you know, anyone that's watched Entourage and thinks it's Ari yeah. yelling, you know, at Lloyd to do something or whatever the case may be, <laughs> you know, um, can you, you know, how are you explaining it to like, you know, my grandmother, what an agent is? Yeah, no, that's fair. My mom, I remember when I first started at William Morris, my, my mom thought I was working at Phil, Philip Morris and selling cigarettes. So, <laughs> you know, it definitely, uh, you know, most people don't know, and I don't think you ever will, right? Like, I think, you know, if I say I work with, you know, this athlete or this musician, they, they go, oh, okay, I know who that person is. So, so I understand it, you know, but when I say to somebody, I helped sell a TV show, you know, people don't understand what that actually means or what goes into that. Um, you know, e e even my family, I think they understand what I do to a certain, to a certain extent. Um, but like I could be watching a show and I could say to my mom or my wife, oh, I sold that show. And they're like, oh, okay, great. You know, but when we go to a basketball game and we're sitting courtside and LeBron walks by, you're like, okay, that's, that's much easier to kind of understand. Um, so, and, and I also do a bunch of different things at the agency, to, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, the, some days people won't understand what I'm doing. Other days they'll be like, oh, okay, I, I, see, I see what you're doing there. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it goes both ways. It's totally, I, I totally can relate. It's like, I've been doing, you know, I've worked at Nike, as you know, I've worked at Beats by Dre. I've had, you know, a, humbly a successful career in marketing and branding and, and doing what we're doing now at the Spring Hill Company. And, and if you asked my mom right now, she'd be like, he works with LeBron. <laughs> <That's literally. laughs> totally. And it's not showing totally. off or bragging. That's literally yeah. what she thinks. And to this, to your point, I'm just like, yes, yes, I do. It's just easier at times to just yeah. be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Um, I think it's a great transition. I want to talk about, you know, some of the clients you've worked with. Um, I'm, I'm very good friends consider him a brother, um, Victor Cruz, right? Ex-New York yeah. Giant. And I once asked him, hey, what do you want to do? You know, what's the best version of you look like post-career? And he said, it's very simple. It's Michael Strahan. He's the blueprint. Yeah. And I just thought it was like, wow, like he could have said anything. He could have said anyone. He was like, and he said it like didn't flinch. Michael Strahan, he's the blueprint. Yeah. Um, I know you've worked with Michael. Can you talk a little bit? I don't think people fully grasp what that man's been able to accomplish in his second act you know, of, his, of his NFL career. Can you talk about a little bit about the work you've been able to do with him and like just the incredible stuff he's doing? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it started with a colleague of mine, Brad Slater, who I, who I also work with LeBron on. You know, he had a relationship with, with Michael's longtime manager, Constance Schwartz. Um, you know, we sat down when he was, he was on a sitcom on Fox called Brothers. Um, and he was on Fox NFL Sunday. And the sitcom wasn't doing very well, ended up going away. 
but you know, between Brant Joel, who is also on, who's also on Michael's team, and Brad, you know, we just felt like there was something unique about Michael. He like when he walked into a room, you know, no matter what kind of mood you were in, he lit the world up. Right? It was just you never walked away feeling bad. And um, you know, it, it was everybody looks at him now, and it's easy to kind of look at what he has become because he's a monster and he deserves every bit of the success he has because he's he works his ass off. He's one of the best people you'll know. But in the beginning, it wasn't easy, right? Like no one, you know, it just, it wasn't, that had never been done before. Uh, and I remember Brad and Brent and I watching him on the Joe Buck show on HBO and the three of us talking afterwards and saying, Michael was on one of the episodes and he just, he looked so natural. It felt like he should be hosting a, a, a talk show or a late night talk show. And it was right around the time when uh, Regis Philbin re was retiring um, mm -hmm. and Michael started guest hosting and you know one turned into two and two turned into three and sure enough he just kept being asked back um, and you know he ended up getting the job you know there I think there were 59 other guest hosts and he ended up getting the opportunity and then his world forever changed and to be honest with you so did ours uh, I, I would say that as much as we believed in Michael to think that you know, a six foot five, you know, gap tooth former football player could be hosting a daytime talk show. Um, you know, it, it was, we hoped it would happen, but you know, we'd be lying if we said we planned it that way. Right. And then, right. and then Michael did the work. I mean, he, he went in every day, worked his ass off, did whatever they asked him to do that led to this opportunity and then this opportunity and then this opportunity, um, you know, and, I think it's I think it's two things, right? I think it's you have a guy that 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 wanted to be entrepreneurial. He wanted to win, right? And I think Victor, to your point, is similar. Like he wants to be doing a bunch of different things. He's not just mm -hmm. content being on Fox NFL Sunday or being at ESPN. Like these are entrepreneurial people. They just need a runway to be able to go in and, and try these different things, right? And then I also think specifically in Michael and in LeBron's case, they have good people around them, you know, like you mentioned Adam, Adam earlier and Maverick and, you know, and in Michael's case, you had, you have Constant Schwartz. These are people that, you know, are invested in these companies, these people, they're partners for, for myself and the other agents that work on the team. And while these, while these guys are playing basketball or they're working five days a week on live with Kelly and Michael, the managers or the the people like Constance and Maverick are the people you're building this with. And if you don't have those people, you're at a severe disadvantage because it, you know, you're then trying to take time away from somebody who has another job or, you know, and, and their time is very valuable. So you can kind of brainstorm and strategize with these people behind the scenes. It's, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, being from New York and being a giant fan and <clears throat> I can tell you, the transformation that, you know, Michael's been able to make with you guys help. It's like, again, we're not talking about, you know, a quarterback, you know, from UCLA, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like we're talking about like six, five, 275 pound defensive end, totally. you know, like, and the transformation he's made, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, my son knows him just as like the, the guy on television, doesn't even know him as like yeah. a defensive <laughs> end that would, you know, kick your ass type thing. So it's been interesting. I love, you know, I think it's a great transition, like the juxtaposition of like, that transformation that you guys helped create and craft with Michael um, and taking someone that was not necessarily unpolished, but not your, your first image or thought of someone that would make that transition to LeBron James, 
right? Yeah. So, so you get a LeBron that's LeBron James, a global icon, mega superstar, whatever you want to call him. It's like, what is your philosophy, you and your team's philosophy? You have a LeBron James in fold. What now? How do you work with a LeBron? Like, what, what's that look like? I'm sure it looks different than the first days of Michael. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know that we would have seen the world in the same way with LeBron if we didn't have Michael. Um, mm. And I'll, I'll never forget when Brad called me and said, we're going to sit down with, with Maverick Carter, you know, instantaneously, I felt like there was a business to be built, especially in the world that I lived in. I felt like if LeBron James walked into, you know, an Applebee's and my mom was sitting there, my mom would know who LeBron James is. And that was really what we focused on in the early days. We wanted to be in the 1% business. We wanted to be in the business where if you walked into a restaurant, would the entire restaurant turn and look at that person? Because if they did, then there's probably a business to be built for them. And then working at a company like the one I work at, we had the resources to be able to do that, right? You know, so if LeBron, I remember at the time we went to New York um, and we had dinner at Carbone's, it was the first time we'd ever met LeBron and, and really spent time with Randy and, you know, the group. And he, he was filming Trainwreck. Mm -hmm. um, and to then see what it turned into, and now to see the movie business that Brad Slater can build, you know, because whenever, you know, you, you think about that, right? Like when you're talking about LeBron and now you got Space Jam, so people are talking about that. Um, it's just, it's fun. So when we sat down with Maverick, you know, right out of the gate, I think he had, you know, it, it wasn't what you see now, that's for sure. He had one <laughs> show on TV, it was Survivor's yeah. Remorse. Um, but we really felt like there was a lot we could do with him. And, and we felt like, we were going to work really hard to try and we weren't going to promise anything, but we felt like, I mean, he was the greatest basketball player and probably still is on the planet. Um, you know, there's gotta be some doors we can go try and kick down. Um, and, you know, again, back to, to, to Maverick's credit, he, he trusted us and, you know, he empowered us to go try. Um, and we started taking meetings and, you know, he listened and, and kind of let, he was very coachable, right? We kind of walked him through how the business needed to work and how we needed to start. Um, that's why I go back and say that the Mavericks and the Constants of the world, you know, it's, they're insanely helpful to building these businesses and getting them started. And then, you know, we started selling some TV shows and, um, you know, we started making some movie deals and some scripted TV deals. And, um, you know, the one thing about the LeBron camp uh, I will say is he is surrounded by incredibly smart people from his lawyers to most of his agents. I would keep me out of that list, but <laughs> agents on his team, you know, to, to, to the Adams of the world, to, you know, your expertise with what you do. Um, it, it's, it, it's a pretty amazing collection of people um, that are in that circle. And I, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it's taken off and had so much success. Like, you know, it, again, it goes back to letting people who are experts at what they do, you know, and I also think I, like a very clear mission statement on what the company is going to be helps yeah. a lot of us too. And, and I, you know, it's amazing to think when that company started that the mission that was pretty clear back then is still the same mission now. It might've pivoted mm -hmm. a little bit, but by and large, it's still a company that, you know, it is true to its roots and, and, you know, empowering athletes and empowering people to be bigger versions of, of themselves. So it's, it's pretty fun to be a part of. No, for sure. One thing, and I've never told you this, Josh, is like one thing I've always respected about you. It's like, obviously, you know, coming up in my background, <clears throat> I've been around a ton of athletes and managers and agents and all those things. And, 
And what I would say, no disrespect to anyone, what I've seen, most guys are like inbound, meaning if I'm LeBron James agent, yeah, I can pick up calls all day and be like, hey, these are the best two options that have come in. You're upstream with us. Like you're brainstorming you. with us. You know, you're, you're, you, you know, has that always been your philosophy of just, is it just your interest? Is it just your philosophy of like how you guys work at WME? It's like, I've never seen anyone like you and your team um, in terms of like how you really are, not even an extension of the team, you are part of the team. And yeah. I think that helps get to great opportunities. It helps get to great work. It helps, you know, kind of create that narrative um, out there in the marketplace of like projects that we're working on. That's not by accident, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, well, I think it's a reflection of my company for sure. I mean, the people that I work with for the most part are all similar, right? Like we're not in the incoming phone call business. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I think as an agent, you have to be that way, right? Like you, you have to add value uh, in a big way always and every day, right? Like no matter what happens and how successful the company is, there's always a new day and you have to go out and prove yourself all over again. And, you know, when I, I take great pride in a lot of these companies, you know, because a lot of times I've been with them from the beginning. Um, so when they, I celebrating their wins and being a part of their wins means a lot to me. I'm proud of them. I'm proud, I'm proud of what the Spring Hill company has become. I'm proud of other companies that I've had a hand in building. Um, and that's what makes my job fun. And I think if I was just picking up the phone and, you know, answering incoming phone calls, it, it, this job wouldn't be as fun. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it's also, to be honest with you, it's kind of the DNA of, of, of my agency. It's like being curious, right? Like I want to go learn new businesses because it makes me a better agent. It makes me a smarter person and it, and it, you know, it, it, it's just a fun way to be. Otherwise I would just be doing and selling non-scripted TV shows and I wouldn't know what the podcast business looks like or the, the events business or, so I think for some companies, it's fine to stay in your lane. Um, but I think the guys that, that, that I've worked with um, and the teams that, that I'm on with people, you know, we all share that kind of same thread. Let's go out and figure out ways to, to blow this up and be proactive. I love it. I want to talk to you a little bit about, about Kobe. You know, know yeah. you worked with Kobe and, and, you know, there's stories of him, you know, legendary stories, you know, that have literally become a legend of him just being a complete maniac as it related to like work ethic on the court and just, you know, like you were either gonna, we were talking about this before we started doing the show, there's a certain caliber of, of talent, of icons that they're gonna force you to come up to that level or you're not gonna, you're not gonna be around, right? Yeah. So there's there's uh, legendary stories of, of Kobe on the court practice, how he committed himself fully to his craft what was he like off the court in business and as it related to, you know, some of the projects you guys worked on, anything you can share? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I was, um, I consider myself very lucky to have worked with him. Um, you know, he, he, I said it before, he was, he's one of those guys that just made you a better person. And uh, he was an incredible human being. Uh, I was very lucky to work with him. He was the same, you know, people used to ask me that all the time, you know, he, the way he was as a basketball player is the way he goes, I think at everything in his life. Um, so when he transitioned from the basketball court, uh, into the business world, you know, he didn't, th there was no time to waste. He wasn't interested in kind of taking meetings for the sake of meetings. He expected results. Um, you know, he, he expected to be put in business with the best of the best. Um, he wanted to learn, um, you know, he would cold call Steven Spielberg and JJ Abrams and just pick their brain. You know, he was relentless. He was, 
committed to becoming a Hall of Fame person in the entertainment business. And, and specific, you know, and specific, he was, he had a very clear focus too. He wasn't interested in, usually when you sign somebody like that, there's 15 different things that you could do with them, right? From stuff we talked about earlier, right? From podcast to books, to this, to that. He was singularly focused on the idea of, of empowering kids and helping them to be, to becoming better versions of themselves, no matter what you wanted to be, right? If you wanted to be a poet, what could you learn from Maya Angelou that would help you become a better poet? You know, if you wanted to become a basketball player, who are you learning from that are going to make, that's going to make you a better basketball player? So, you know, he, the world of Harry Potter was a world that he was fascinated by. So he would go out and learn everything he could about that world and about kids animation. And, you know, he wanted to get into the publishing business. So he went out and he met with 15 people who, you know, had, had become successful in the publishing business. That was the type of person he was. He, he like, he, he completely dove into it in a way um, that, you know, it, it's truly the 1%, right? It's, it's, you know, the, the, the LeBron in basketball, it's, it's, you know, Derek Jeter in baseball, these guys are, that were just relentless at their craft. Um, and you knew where they were at all times. They were practicing and figuring out ways to get better. Um, so, you know, people like that are fun to work with. No, and it's like, I've heard, you know, having worked at Nike, legendary stories of like, Cole only knew like one speed. Like, it doesn't matter if he was working on his game, playing you in checkers, <laughs> Or, you know, in business, it was like, it's all, you know, that same. And, and, and we were talking about this before we started recording the show. There are people like that even in business, right? Like yeah. they're executives, like we were saying Mav, and we were saying, you know, I was telling you Jimmy Iovine, you know, yeah. cut from that same cloth and those guys. And, and you know, Dre, even Dr. Dre, I've seen, you know, For these sure. are guys that like, you know, it's going to sound cliche and corny, but there is no finish line. It's like, it's just, you know, the more success, the more opportunity and success yeah. isn't necessarily measured in money. You know, so I, you know, when I'm hearing you talk about some of these guys, Michael Strahan, LeBron, Kobe, it, it feels like there's a common denominator there. Those guys are just wired like a little differently. Like, did you sense that when you worked with some of these guys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that, you, you, I mean, a hundred percent. They just, there, there's a different, it's just a different piece of DNA with them. I mean, you know, it is, it, it is, they are completely obsessed with, being the best at whatever they do um and you know will go to any length possible to to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish like there was i, I remember the first time i met kobe bryant he said i want to build a studio i want to i want to build a kid's studio there was you walked away from that meeting not thinking twice about the fact that he he was that was going to happen may not yeah. happen in two weeks may not happen in two months or two years but at some point in the future that he was absolutely going to build a studio. Like when he, I remember when he won his Oscar, he, um, he said, now I'm going after, you know, the, the EGOT status, right. I'm going to win an Emmy, a Grammy. Uh, <laughs> I, I got my Oscar and I'm going to win a Tony. And like, none of us thought twice about it. Like he, you, you literally just said he, he's going to do it. Right. Like that's, that's just it. You know, and I think all these guys are the same way when they say they're going to do something you know, it just, it gets willed to working that way. Sure. Um, and, you know, like, that's why I say you end up learning more from these people than they do from you, because that's awesome to be around. If that doesn't give you a high, or that doesn't get you excited about what you do, then I don't know what will. 
for sure. And it's like, even for us with Bron, like Bron will say something and it's like, never questioned. It's like, all right, let's get to work. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, yeah, let's get to work, right? You believe every word and, and they lead by example of hard work, you know, and Maverick and I always sure. talk about <clears throat> back when the world was normal and open and we used to travel, you know, we may be jumping on a red eye to come back to the East Coast just for a meeting and a dinner to fly back to LA. And it was like, well, you can't complain because the big fella just played a back-to-back -back and showed up oh. for the call at nine o'clock in the morning, just like you did. So, you know, um, it's it's really amazing. And, and you've been able to make, build a career around it of like, when you don't have to look very far for inspiration, like the people that are to the left or the right for you that you're working for and with are just for as sure. committed to you, if not more, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I also think it goes back to something we talked about earlier, right? Like I think of how you grow up is a big part of it. You know, I... I um, and, and it's something that I'm very, you know, I think about all the time with my kids, right? My kids are going to grow up different than I did. So instilling in them that same DNA that like, no, you, you have to go, no, nothing is given, everything is earned. You have to wake up every day and go take it if you want it. Um, and that's been a big part of like, you, you know, if you sit back and wait, good luck with what comes to you, right? <laughs> like, um, so I, I think that that's been a, a key driver. I mean, a key driver of my success. I, I don't, I definitely don't think I, I'm, I'm the smartest by any stretch of the imagination, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that uh, I, I will relentlessly work my ass off to make up for what I don't get on, on the smart side. Um, because that's all you got, right? Like, you know, your, your reputation and how hard you work and, you know, the opportunities that you create for yourself, that's, you know, that to me is, is a function of how you grew up and where you come from. And, uh, and, and if you want to change that narrative. Yes, Josh, speaking a little bit about like, you know, opportunity and how you work, I know you well enough to know you're not the type to ever like rest on like your laurels of like the success you've had. So I know you're always thinking forward, but I also know you're not in the volume game. You're not success for yeah. you isn't signing a thousand clients. You know, what do you, you know, having worked with, you know, again, I call them icons, right? The pedigree of talent you work with, what are you looking for in new prospective clients? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I think that they certainly have to be at a level, um, and this sounds terrible to say, and I don't mean it to come across that way, but you know, you want people that are transcendent at what they do, right? Like you, um, you know, there's certain, they're the one percent. Like I, I hate to say that because it sounds terrible, but you know, the 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 Hall of Famers, right? The people that you know, I think it's it's a few things. It's people that have had had it. A massive level of success in, in what they in their day job, and that have the hunger to continue to build and do bigger and better things, right? That want to, you know, that that want to leave their mark in the world for things outside of, you know, what they're known for, right? And I I love that type of opportunity. I love that type of challenge. Um, you know, to be honest with you, that's one aspect of it. I think that there's always things that I'll meet with somebody and I'll, and. I'll just be very interested in them and curious about them. And I'll want to see what we can figure out with them. Mm. Right. Like, and I think that's a piece of it. So I, I don't know that there's any like one criteria. I think that, you know, I, I, I'm better suited in the athlete world when we're talking about the best of the best, because I think, you know, typically they want to do a bunch of different things. They want to be entrepreneurial, um, you know, and, and we can kind of open up some doors for them to help them do that. 
Um, but you know, I may come across some young production company in the non-scripted space that I just think is, I love what they do and I love the ideas that they have. And, uh, and that's fun for me because then I get to take them and I get to partner them with people you know, like Michael Strahan or LeBron James or Peyton Manning, people like that. And I get to go kind of create new stuff and create new businesses and find ways to, to unlock opportunities that didn't exist. You know, I, we, we talked about Michael Strahan earlier. I, I, I really give him a lot of credit because I don't know that this would be this idea of breaking athletes into, into new territories and new businesses. I don't know that it would have worked out the same way if he wouldn't have been the first one to do it. So, mm. um, you know, it's it's certainly taught me that that uh, to go into every situation with the mindset of, of eyes wide open and like, okay, I, I'm not going to dismiss things just because they've never been done, right? Like, let's let's take this for a spin and try and figure it out. And if we fail, we fail, but we'll learn something from those failures. And you know, and and we may get something right. We may create a whole new genre or a whole new business, and uh, and that opens up a bunch of other doors for other clients. You know, speaking to clients, it's like <clears throat> you've always in the, in the time I've known you, you've always been a very selfless, you know, guy in the business where it's like you're always deferential to your clients and their success and the things they've accomplished and how you've just supported. And, you know, they're kind of the secret sauce of like you know, the people you work with. Ten years from now, if we look back, how are you measuring success for Josh Pyatt? Like, how are you looking back oh, 10 years from now, like the success question. for your career? Um, you know, look, I, I said it earlier, I think reputation is a big, big thing. Like I, I, you know, I, somebody told me once it takes 25 years to grow or to build a, a reputation. It takes 25 seconds to destroy one. So I always have that in the back of my mind. You know, look, I think that I, I want to build something great in whatever kind of world I'm in. So right now it's building, building out WME sports and trying to make that as great as it can be. Um, you know, building out my individual client businesses and, and helping that to be the best it can be, learning new businesses. You know, I, I, I enjoy what I do. And I think that when I don't anymore, I'll go do something else, um, you know, but you never know what opportunity presents itself. So um, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can and meet as many people as I can. And, you know, in 10 years, I hope that people say, whatever he did, he worked his ass off. He was a great father. He was a great husband. He was a great friend. Those are things that matter to me. Um, I think that the business will take care of itself, right? If I keep working with great clients and helping them do great things, um, opportunities will open up and we'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky. I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I get to work with the people I work with and that goes both internally at my company and externally at my clients. It, um, I learn something new every single day. And I think that's, that, that's a cool place to be. Love that, man. La last question before I let you get out of here. Um, somewhere there's a young kid who's also realizing he's not going to start at shortstop <laughs> the LA Dodgers and he's turning his attention and maybe he's listening to this podcast, but he's turning his attention and saying, you know what, I might not be able to start at shortstop for the Dodgers, but I could potentially be that guy. I could potentially be Josh Pyatt. What are you saying to that 15, 16, 17 year old kid or that sophomore in college that, you know, um, wants to be the next Josh Pyatt? What's the best advice you could give him or her? Well, first of all, I'll say, I think this is one of the best parts about your podcast is that you create opportunities and a platform for people to learn from other people. So oh, I, I, I give you a lot of credit for that because it's, it's an incredible thing. And, and a lot of people don't take time to, 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 to do that. Um, 
I would say, um, be fearless, right? Like, you know, if you know you want to be an agent, go find 15 agents and they're not that hard to find, right? Like you can, if you're creative and inventive and proactive, you can find 15 names uh, and reach out to them, right? Like it's not hard to get to people. Um, and if they say no, then what's the word you just, you know, then they said no and move on to, to, to someone and, you know, seven out of 10 times, you're going to get a yes when it comes to someone wanting to, to or someone sitting down with you. I think that there's things that you can do when you sit down with them, right? Being prepared, um, you know, asking smart questions, um, being on time, um, you know, dressing the part, uh, those types of things. But, you know, I, I think that being aggressive um, and, literally there's nothing you can't do. So just go try and talk to as many people as you can. Cause I'll tell you this, if somebody reaches out to me, A, I'll take the meeting and B, if they're impressive, I'll do whatever I can to help them. Now, mm -hmm. at some point, you, you, you know, you tee them up with a bunch of introductions. It then becomes on you to kind of keep right. moving up that ladder. Um, but the people that show initiative to me for somebody like me, that means everything. It means everything. It's like, it doesn't matter where you come from, what resources you have at your disposal, you know, go out and, and, and get to people and try. And, and because the more things you do and the more meetings you try and take, they're going to turn into something. Um, and, you know, and then I, I think it comes down to, um, you know, following up in the right way uh, and figuring out your way to get your shot in some capacity. Um, and then once you get your shot, working your ass off so that you stick around. And I think that that's, you know, I, I think that w once you get to this level, then it becomes about getting to this level and don't ever forget that, right? There's never, you know, it, if, you, if you get to a point where you're just kind of sitting back with your, you know, arms above your head relaxing, then someone's gonna pass you by. So um, if I was talking to a younger person, I would say that. Take, take every meeting, say yes to everybody that, that, that asks you to do something be curious, be aggressive, um, and don't be afraid to hear a no because all it takes is one yes. And then once you're in, then it's up to you. It's actually, it's amazing. Thank you for that. It's amazing to hear that. It's like I had, um, who I think is one of the funniest people on earth. I had Kendrick Perkins on an earlier episode. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's great, man. Shout out to Kendrick. And, and he told me something I didn't realize. He said that first year he worked for free. That first year, he did everything for free. It's like I said no to nothing. I did every podcast, you yeah. know, the jump. I did everything for free just because I wanted the reps. And I wanted to show I was professional. And I wanted to show I could be, you know, kind of not. And I wanted to work on my craft, right? Um, so there's something to be said about just like, which is which bringing it full circle when we think about like your start and pivoting and mailroom and all of those things. It's like showing up is free, right? For sure. Having initiative is free. Being prepared yeah. is free. Being on time is free. Now, to your point, once you get the opportunity, you got to show and prove at this level. But that's half the battle. Just the, yeah. that, all that stuff I mentioned is free. You know, I, I talked to Farah. You know, um, yeah. on an earlier episode, who I love, who I think is incredible. Yeah, um, she's the best. And, and she said she's like, you have no idea how many emails I get every day when my e when my name is spelled wrong. Totally. I I, I listened to it the other day and and. and uh, and what she said is dead on, right? Like, you know, little things like that go, go, I pick those things out of, you know, you, you immediately find those things and you don't try to, but they stick mm -hmm. out, right? So mm -hmm. like little things, paying attention to the detail, you know, when you sit down with me, I expect that you're going to work hard, 
right? Like, you know, so that to me is just kind of a, a, a cost of doing business for being in the sure. room. Um, it's the little things to me that, that make the difference between, you, you know, whether this is going to go forward or whether I'm going to pick up the phone and call 30 people because you deserve a shot, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and look, you know, I, I think that Farah, myself, we're both, we're very blessed. We're lucky to be in the positions we're in. You know, I think knowing her, we're both in, in a world where we want to help people, right? Because we were, we were given opportunities uh, and we took advantage of them. So, you know, I, I know she's that way. I am too. Like, I want to help people, but you also have to do your part, right? You also have to kind of make sure that you have your loose ends tied up, um, you, you know, because that's the only way this is going to work. For sure. Josh, can't thank you enough, man. Dropping gems as man. usual. We normally have these conversations normally. I'm glad other people could kind of listen in on them and whatnot. Um, any, lastly, before you go, what are you excited about? Anything coming up that you, you know, you're excited people to keep an eye out, whether it's a client doing something big or you or, or WME sports, like anything you're excited about? Yeah. I mean, look, I think WME sports is, is something I'm very excited about, you know, kind of learning different businesses, you know, we're, 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 we're starting to kind of do some cool new things that that's exciting for me, you know, continuing to build out, you know, the stray hands of the world, the LeBrons of the world, working with Peyton Manning, that's exciting to me. Um, you know, I, I think the business is changing so much every single day. Um, you know, I, I, I we, we talk all the time, places like Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Netflix and, and YouTube, they weren't, you know, they weren't really in the content game in a meaningful way five years ago. So the mm -hmm. fact that now those are the people that everybody wants to sell to, that's exciting, right? You, you know, new types, it opens up the door for new types of content. The world is changing very quickly. Um, so I think learning all of that stuff is exciting. Um, at this point, to be honest with you, what I'm most excited about is just, you know, like you said earlier, being able to go outside and get a beer with, with people <laughs> and, not have, and not have to wear a mask. Um, so hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Going back to a stadium and watching a baseball game, that'd be nice. And hey, listen, I'm going to hold you to that. Hopefully next time I see you at a stadium and we're having a beer, man, and just shooting the shit. Sounds man. good to me. Sounds Josh, good to appreciate me. the time. I love to the family and um, yeah, I'll see you when I'm in LA. All right, appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you.